0: Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today.
1: Reading from Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 2, verses 15 through 21. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law then no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, Doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For though the law, I died the law so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be achieved through the law, Christ died for nothing. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be be to God.
0: Would you pray with me? Almighty and gracious God, as we gather here to worship and praise you today, we humbly ask that you would speak to our hearts and transform them in such a way that we would leave here not just as hearers of your word, but as doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray. Amen so many of you may think that when we graduate from seminary that they have spent three years pouring into our head all of this stuff about biblical interpretation and theology and church history and the practicalities of how to do ministry that they have taught us everything let me tell you that would be a false assumption They've taught us all about biblical interpretation. They've taught us all about theology. They've taught us even about church history, but some of the practical stuff in ministry, they have just sort of forgotten about teaching us. Sort of this idea of, you'll figure it out on your own. Like, I know tons about the Christmas conference of 1784, but when I graduated from seminary, I didn't really know how to do a funeral. The attitude was, well, in the church, people die you will have to do funerals. And that was the funeral lesson for the day. Again, I know this Christmas conference of 1784, but they didn't tell us that in October of our first year in a church that we would get this lovely note from the DS that it was time to fill out charge conference paperwork. Now, every job has paperwork, right? Well, imagine in the church, this is kind of like, tax returns with an essay involved. Again, they don't prepare us for this. They don't prepare us how to manage staff or volunteers. The comment was, well, you know, in the church, everyone loves each other and they're on their best behavior all the time. You'll be fine. Oh my goodness. And then there are just some of the things that they teach us in worship that they don't really teach us. Like they tell us that Ash Wednesday is a good service to have, but they don't teach us how to mix the ashes. Again, you'll figure this out on your own. So, what happens is we have an experience like my friend Steve. Steve went to his first church and they got ready to have the Ash Wednesday service, and his minister said, uh, All the stuff you need to know is in the book of worship. So, Steve gets the book of worship out, as did all of us, turns to page 321. It's a long paragraph, something about Ash Wednesday, it's really good, blah, 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 you really like it, blah, 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 you need to get some ashes, blah, 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 and you mix them with a little bit of water, and then you make the sign of the cross on people's foreheads. Now, don't do this. Do not mix ashes and water and put them on people's foreheads. If you remember your high school chemistry, or if you remember anything about Colonial America and Colonial Home ec taught us that you mix ashes and water to form lye, which makes soap. Or if you just leave it in lye, it's a caustic substance, as in it burns your skin. So Steve's telling us a story that in his first church, they went and did just as the book of worship says Do on page 321, three quarters of the way down in the next to last paragraph, mixed ashes of water. They go to the service. People come down front like they do here for hours. And the ministers made the sign of the cross. And of course he had one on his head. And he says, halfway through the service, he says, I've got this burning sensation on my head. I'm thinking I'm having a Holy Ghost moment like the Spirit's working on me. Everybody else is too. He says, then I realized that basically I have a chemical burn. And basically, so does everybody else in church. He says, for the next week, you could tell who had been to the Ash Wednesday service because it was right there emblazoned on our foreheads. So in all of this accidental creating of a caustic substance, it gave birth to a theological metaphor. We as Christians truly are Marked by the cross. So as we continue reading in Galatians during our Lenten journey, we find Peter, we find Paul writing about his theological discussion with Peter. He's telling the Galatian church that you know Peter seems to think that the world needs to be converted to Judaism before they can follow Christ, that if they do these things, that they will be saved. And Paul makes a conjecture that, no, that there's something more to this, that, you, that, that this can't happen this way, that you don't have to convert first to be saved. And so he really starts down the, word, uh, the world of, theologically, are we saved by our works or are we saved by our faith? And so what he comes up with is this idea that we're saved by faith and by faith alone. The doctrine that they taught us was sola fides, which means by faith alone. See, therefore, no one rich nor poor, black nor white, male nor female, none of us can be brought into right relationship with God on our own. Instead, it's by God's work and by God's work alone. It's only by God's grace in the Christ crucified that we are brought back into right relationship with God. So thus, all of us as Christians, we are marked irrevocably by the sign of the cross. What Paul is arguing for is what we as Methodists essentially think of as sort of the second expression of God's grace. You know, last week we talked about prevenient grace, how God comes to us and is working in our lives even before we know God or know of God. God's prevenient grace comes and opens our hearts, yearning to have a relationship with the divine, sort of an appetizer, if you will, for a faithful life in God's family. Opening our hearts to the realization that we are part of something bigger. But it's this second expression, what John Wesley calls justifying grace, that we begin to realize that Christ died on the cross for us and therefore We have a new life in Christ because of what Christ did for us on the cross by dying for our sins and for the sins of the whole world, God is pouring grace out over each of us. But now faith becomes very personal, very much what we know. We begin to realize that as an individual, our lives are marked by the priest, a mother who was devoted to faith. So in 1736, he hopped on a boat from England to the colony of Georgia. He had in his mind that he was gonna witness to the Native Americans, that he was gonna be the the chaplain for this colony, sort of the parish priest. And so he gets here and he gets things started and he finds that the work is difficult. As a matter of fact, the Native Americans really aren't interested in learning about God from him. He gets caught up in some internal political squabbles in within the colony and essentially gets run out of town. So as he hops on the boat to go back to England, he's already downhearted and a bit dejected. I mean, how can he be that good? I mean, he thinks of himself as this great priest and he's failed on two fronts to witness to those that didn't know God and even to be a minister to those that do. And so as he's having this pity party on this boat, as he's sailing back to England, they encounter a storm and the boat is just this close to sinking throughout the storm. And so realizing that he is this close to death, his faith is of of no comfort to him. He seems lost at sea, lost in faith. He's ready to quit it all and just to pack it in and find a whole new career. But on that ship, he encounters a Moravian, Peter Bowler, who says to him, John Wesley, you've got to preach faith until you have it. You've got to preach faith, Christ crucified, until you have it, until you own it in your heart. And so he takes these wise advice and he continues to do that. And so as he returns to England, he preaches to the masses in the coal mines and in the fields, to whoever will listen to him saying, the world is my parish. And as he preaches, folks are converted. They have their own experience where they realize that Christ died for him and died for them. And so they're having all of this, and yet he is still unassured, unjustified in his mind. Until on May the 24th in 1738, when he is speaking in Aldersgate, just as the service is beginning, someone is reading from Luther's preface on the book of Romans, And it's while that reading is going on, something happens to John Wesley. Something happens in his soul, in his heart, in his spirit. And these are the words he writes in his journal. While describing the change that God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt that I did know Christ, that I did trust in Him, that Christ alone died for my salvation. An assurance given that he had taken away my sins, even my own sins, and had saved me from a life of sin and death. See, at that moment, he realized how personal his salvation was. He realized that Christ had died on the cross for him, for John Wesley, and it revolutionized his life. It revolutionized his ministry. It turned everything upside down. He began to live confidently as one marked by Christ, marked by the cross. It affected the way he preached, the way he taught, how he reached out to others, how he continued to go into the highways and byways of life, looking out for those who needed to be exposed to And invited into the gospel story. Because at that moment in time, he realized that he himself was marked by the cross. Well, the same is true for us. We inherit that legacy. Our lives are marked by the cross too. See, God's justifying grace is poured out over each and every one of us, over all of you and over me. Warming our hearts to the realization that we too have been saved by Christ's work on the cross, that our sins have been given because Christ was willing to sacrifice himself for us. But it's in that moment. It's in that moment we realize that we have been justified, that we have to think about what it means for our lives. This idea of justification, the best way I can describe it is imagine on your word processing software, somewhere on there, there's a button that you can click to justify your margins. And if you do it, if you justify your margins left, all the words line up perfectly on the left margin. Or if you justify right, they do the same. Or if you justify both, they spread to the page so that the margin is completely clear and your words are in line with that margin you want. We'll see when our lives are justified by Christ, justified by God, what it means is that we are bringing our lives in line with what God wants for us, with who God wants us to be, with how God is calling us. This idea of being poured out over us, justifying grace means a new beginning, a new life in Christ, where we too live marked by the cross, living the way God wants us to, lining up our lives with God's hopes for us. And as I think about that, I think of three ways that we could show the world that we live as a marked people, marked by the cross. The first is this idea of having a sense that God is in control, that we are not worried about the things of this world. We're not worried about all of the stuff that's around us, but instead we are focused on what God is doing around us. We think about in Matthew, we hear when Jesus is speaking to the people, he says, look at the lilies of the field or the birds of the air. Do they not worry about things? No, worry just about today. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Will God not provide for you? Or if we, if we turn back in our Bibles into Psalm 46, God says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and And know that I am God. Think about all the things in our lives that we can't control. All the things around us, the future of the church, the future of the denomination, the coronavirus, the the political cycle, whatever else is happening in our lives, the things that are beyond our abilities. What, instead of worrying about those and letting those consume our lives, what if we said, I'm letting go and I'm letting God be in charge I can't worry about that because I can't affect it. Only God can. I can pray for a good outcome, but I can't worry about it. God's in charge. What if we were still and knew that there was God all around us and that God was in charge? Or what if we lived lives that showed a sense of forgiveness? I mean, think about how Christ died on the cross for all of our sins and all of our shortcomings. Think about what people around us do, what they say about us, how they act towards us, what they do in the world. What if we, instead of going point for point with them, what if we quit keeping score and we decided to live lives of forgiveness? Where no matter what they said, no matter what they said, no matter what they did, we forgave them. And we lived at peace in that forgiveness. Or what if we were more like Jesus and we saw people for who they are at their very base element? We didn't judge the book by a cover. Instead, we decided to open the book and peel back the layers and find out that they are just like us, children of God trying to understand who God wants us to be and how God wants us to live. What if we let all the labels, all the trappings, all the window dressing around our lives fade away and we just look deep in each other's hearts, each other's souls, and we saw each other simply as children of God who deserve the best. And because they deserve the best, we give them our best, not because they owe us anything, we gave them the best of our lives, the best of our hearts, simply because they are God's children, our brothers and sisters. So we live lives like this, where we live at peace, where we let God be in control, where we have a sense of forgiveness, where we're pulling for the best for each other, and we're seeing people deeply who they are, just as they are, then I think that we are living lives where the world sees that we are marked by the cross where they see Jesus through us because our lives truly are marked by the cross as we go about our daily business. So each year, each year on Ash Wednesday, I got, for the last 20 years or so I have gathered in the sacristy of the, whatever church I am appointed to. And I've been a part of the team or the individual to mix the ashes I'll tell you, there is no formula. I will also tell you that we mix it with ashes and oil. It doesn't burn, doesn't leave a mark other than what you want. And I sit there, but as I mix it, I start to chuckle. I think of my friend Stephen wondering wonder if he's mixing ashes today too, and that he's probably figured out that by now you use oil. But as I'm mixing them, I ask myself this question. Beyond today, When Jeremy or Brett, beyond today, when someone puts the sign of the cross on my forehead, beyond today, does my life live in such a way that people can tell that I am marked by the cross. Where they see the mark of the cross on my life by the way I live. And so as you join me on this Lenten journey, as we explore God's grace for us, that justifying, sanctifying grace, I wonder if you will ponder the same question. Do you live your life in a way the world sees that you too are marked by the cross? I pray that as we go out in the world today and this week and the rest of this month, all the way up to Easter, that the world knows without a shadow of a doubt that we have been saved by Christ by the way we live our lives and show the world that we are marked by the cross. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.